Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. At Evolution, we are committed to helping people in Nordic tech organizations realize their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. I am Shania Olajukbet from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and today I am your host. Today, I'm joined by Emma Craig, who is the head of Hillbop, Ricardo, who is the design manager at Stillride, Andreas, who is a senior product manager at ACI Worldwide, and Sylvia, who is the head of product communications at Nexi Group. And we're here to discuss the role of emotional intelligence in team management. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are and what you do. So Emma, would you like to kick us off? Sure. So my name's Emma Craig, um, and as you kind of introduced me, I am the um, head of Hebop, which is a mobile operator over here in Sweden. Um, what that means is I look after the end-to-end um, product management, brand development, communication strategy, um, as well as all of the um, other fantastic parts that make Hebop what it is, for example, customer service. That's it for me. I'll pass it back to you. Amazing. Great. Thank you, Emma. So, Ricardo, would you like to introduce yourself next? Sure. Uh, my name is Ricardo. I am the design manager for Stillfold. Like you said, we are a startup here in Stockholm. We are within the mobility uh, realm. We're developing a motorcycle, an electric motorcycle. But the part I'm more focused on is the tech that allows us to build this motorcycle, which is a sort of um, metallic origami, which allows us to take flat sheets of steel and fold them into specific shapes. So this is something that we've been working on for the past four years. And uh, yeah, we're getting to a point now that it's getting really interesting. And we're able to apply this this uh, fabrication method to other customers outside of our own. So that's me. Yep, amazing. Thank you, Ricardo. Andreas, would you like to go next? Yes, nice to meet you guys. Um, Andreas Osberg, I'm the senior product manager at ACI Worldwide uh, in the fintech industry, and I'm heading up our European initiative for omni-channel payments uh, and everything that goes with that in product, uh, uh, leading the team, uh, leading the commercial initiative, the conversations uh, of development, um, marketing-oriented uh, requests and requirements, um, helping out to set the goals, the sales goals, and um, uh, yeah, the, the the competitive landscape and so forth, everything that kind of is the, the big bundle of product responsibility. And I'm happy to be here and, and listen to the, listen and pitch into the podcast. Amazing. Great. Thank you, Andreas. Sylvia, would you like to go next as well? Absolutely. Hi, everyone. Nice meeting you and being part of this initiative, of this podcast. My name is Sylvia Prodanova, and I'm leading a product communication team in the Paytech company Nexinets, basically providing payment solutions to people, businesses, and financial institutions. We are ba- I'm currently based here in Stockholm, and together with the product communication team, we are covering the communication of a division of around 100 people covering the different products and services that we provide. And that's about me in a nutshell. Yeah, amazing. Thank you, Sylvia. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordic's Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So now that we've established a context to each of you, let's move on to the topic in focus. So everyone here has brought a question to the podcast with a statement or question on the role of emotional intelligence in team management. So as usual, I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. Each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation as well. So let's start with Emma. 
So the question that Emma brought to the podcast was, how can leaders be strong and get things done whilst also being nice to their team? So Emma, where did this question come from? So it actually comes from a place of, let's say, a misconception that emotions can be weak. Um, so by displaying emotions or understanding emotions, actually, it's quite difficult for, well, it's quite difficult as an assumption because quite a few people might view it as you're not strong when you're showing emotions, kind of in the view of being too emotional type um, conversation. So for me, I thought it was quite an interesting question um, to get everyone else's take on how can you how can you be strong while showing your emotions and what's the right way um, to, or is there a right way to display your emotions in order to be strong? Should you be strong? Yeah, no, it's a really interesting question there, Emma. So Andreas, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, sure thing. No, I think it's an excellent question and I think it's very important also uh, to gain trust as a leader, which is, I guess we'll come to that later in the podcast, but showing uh, humility and uh, your own emotions to the team is going to build trust and going to build strong relationships and belief in you as a leader. And doing that without showing uh, or being overdramatic and maintaining character and composure will absolutely build relationships and, and uh, trust. So I think that's very important and something that we probably do uh, on a day-to-day basis as leaders. And um, yeah, excellent question. And and I think it's super important to show your emotions and be, be a human being as a leader. Yeah, definitely. Ricardo, what are your thoughts on this question? Uh, for me, it's more like, I've had a different idea when I read the question originally, but thinking again, uh, I agree that is a misconception when people see emotion as weakness. And at the same time, I think it's really important to, to be able to separate pers- like personal to professional sort of emotions because it's so easy for people to, it's so easy to become super friendly with someone and it's so easy to, to, to either be so distant. So you need to find that balance. And I think some emotions can be very important in the work environment. Like people should be excited. People should be frustrated. People should be like everything in the right amount. And uh, you can, I think being able to, to harness that in your team is, is kind of, uh, it's hard, but from the moment you start knowing people more and you keep the right amount of distance, but at the same time, you're able to talk in a more personal level, allowing people to express their frustrations. I think when people can feel comfortable expressing the frustrations with you without you taking that personally, and then you're working on that. And sometimes you can, you can be wrong about something and, um, hear that from someone else. And like, you know what? You have to kind of accept the, the, I think pride and ego are the, like the killers in the team in general and uh, it's so hard especially in the design world to to be thick skin and to not care about this kind of stuff but uh it's it's not for everyone but eventually you go like slowly like water dripping on the rock and start start like uh working out so yeah i think you've got to have a distance but at the same time you need to be able to to let your team open to you without being frustrated and without thinking I'm the ultimate truth and these people are following me. So just be open and um, yeah, take, I don't be glad to be wrong sometimes because it, it's, it's an eye opener. Yeah, definitely. Some good advice there as well, Ricardo. So Sylvia, what's your take on the situation? Um, first of all, I think it's such an excellent question, certainly because we are working in a very international environment, uh, certainly in my case, for example. And I'm also coming from a culture where emotions are actually considered to be more of a weakness. And if you share and show that emotion, um, it's considered that you're not able to manage yourself. And I completely disagree with that with my experience and through um, everything I've been through I disagree with that so I think it's an excellent question it's very important to discuss a little bit more on that topic and how emotions and emotional intelligence can actually contribute to the daily life uh, to the culture of a team um, 
and actually to the effectiveness of what we are doing in general. That's one thing. And then how to be strong. That's a very interesting question. I think it's more about firmness, maybe to stay firm behind the decision you are taking um, when you're leading the team into a specific direction. But super important to provide safe space for everyone to show how they feel, but also to know that there should be some sort of a balance. Um, yeah, and just accept and work with those emotions, I would say. Yeah, some great advice there as well, Sylvia. So, Emma, after hearing everyone's answers to the question, what are your takes? I think one of my takes um, from what you guys have said is it's important to be human um, and kind of accept everyone else's humanness. Um, also, that culture can affect kind of how acceptable people find showing emotion in the workplace. Um, and also I think, um, the point, Ricardo, that you made on, um, it's important to have boundaries, um, between professional and personal emotion. Um, because in some cases, bringing part of your personal life to work isn't a bad thing. Um, but work isn't necessarily your personal life. Um, there's a reason there's a boundary there to begin with. So I think they're probably the, three main points that I would take from the question. Yeah, no, amazing. Is there anything anyone would like to add on what, since hearing everyone's answers? No, no problem. So let's move on to the next question. So the next question was posed by Ricardo. So Ricardo's question was, how do you show your team you trust them? So Ricardo, where did this question come from? Uh, I think it came from being part of a team that was managed by someone that I believe was not trusting this team and eventually working with teams that I absolutely trusted deeply, but uh, they didn't think I did. So I I don't know. I just think it's an interesting thing because from the moment uh, I get into a project, I try to understand people's roles and what they're up to. And sometimes it's a trusting someone above you as well. Um, how do you show that you trust your decision? Because I think that, I think trust in general is the main, is the main driver here because you cannot move forward without, if, you, if you're thinking that your decisions are going to be questioned for no reason, or if they're going to be questioned, if the person questioning you is actually the right one to do so and things like that. So I just tried to keep a, a very clear dynamics within any team and any project I work in. But out, what's the best way to show, you know, because I learned that a lot with when I would have interns as well. I, for a fact, I know I don't from the beginning, but I, I, I like to let them know that I trust them to see how far they can take things. And when it comes to more experienced and more senior people as well, I like to think that oh, you are the expert in this. I trust your decisions. I, I, I would like us to get there by this time. And I'm not going to question how you do that. So that's how I try to tackle that. And more, more often than not, things worked out. But a lot of the times I also hear people saying, yeah, but you just step out and I don't know what you want. So some people really need to be driven and guided, but I don't know. It's a personality thing, but how do you show people like, hey, I trust, I trust you. I trust, I trust what you're doing. Yeah. No, really good question there, Ricardo. Andreas, did you want to kick us off? Yeah, I think that's a, a super important question and also how to build that trust as we just talked about. And I mean, leaving people to their work and really believing in their talent to deliver is super important. And if they are hired for that role, they should be able to. Um, often not micromanaging, as you just mentioned, uh, can really help people believe in themselves and believe in their own uh, capability and ability to perform a certain task. Um, that's how I do it not being there necessarily physically to make sure I trust you, even though I'm not there. Um, and also not micromanaging how they, um, the output of a task, given feedback is another thing, but micromanaging, you know, that never creates uh, trust in general. Uh, at the same time, as we as leaders need to accept being micromanaged sometimes and, you know, always being open to, you know, whatever kind of management style your manager has managing your team is a different thing. And, um, I think Ricardo also mentioned something which is very important and relates to emotional intelligence, and that is 
being able to understand how a person wants to be led and wants to be communicated to. Um, I've led people that have really loved being micromanaged and being specifically told how to prioritize um, and understanding that as a human being who likes to read emotion, who likes to, you know, kind of understand personality types and, and so forth, uh, that helped me to understand uh, that individual uh, who was a very talented front-end developer. Um, at the same time, I understood other people in the team, you know, um, some were young but very senior in their knowledge and uh, uh, development uh, ability. Um, and I, I knew directly I, I did not have to, didn't want to, and didn't need to micromanage them or, you know, uh, prioritize for them. We had one uh, prioritization session before certain sprints, and then they could actually deliver what they had to do. So, um, yeah, leading people the way they want to be led also uh, is key. And you need to have an understanding of uh, personality types and, uh, you know, emotional intelligence to be able to do that. Yeah, really interesting answer there, Andreas. Thank you for that. Sylvia, would you like to add your take on the question? After Andrew's uh, reply, which I find so perfect and very exhaustive in general, I completely agree with the fact that there needs to be an adaption towards the different people, different personalities, how they would like um, to be led and what's their understanding on on the matter in general. But I also have seen that people... Some people would like to hear it more, verbally to hear, I trust you, I trust you. While other people would prefer more to see actions behind by delegating responsibilities, as you said, to give them a meeting and not show up to the meeting so that they can actually feel free to explore, potentially also to fail. Why not? Because that's also part of the experience. And then to work together with them and impose things. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like one theme that keeps coming up is not being afraid to fail. Like that's definitely something that's like just really important full stop. So yeah, definitely really good to answer there, Sylvia. Emma, what's your take on the question? So most people in my team um, are probably sick and tired of me talking about the trust equation. Um, Google it, it's fantastic. Um, but one of the things that I found quite early in my career, I had... Um, Really, really early on, I had um, a boss whilst I was an intern um, and she said, I don't trust that you can do this. So kind of for me, it was a, well, okay, how do I prove you wrong? Like kind of I want to go in and I want to kind of um, fight this disbelief that's very much my character. Um, but how do I then kind of fight against a feeling and kind of show you that I can deliver it when actually sometimes in business, um, as you guys will all know, sometimes some things just aren't going to work and it's not because of you as an individual it's because there have been inherent problems within a project um so i then set out on a little bit of a journey of self-discovery you might say um around this trust equation and the equation is trust equals reliability times credibility times intimacy divided by self-interest right so the idea being that actually there are three things that can influence your trust with someone or within a team and positively reliability, credibility, and intimacy. Um, but the main kind of detractor from that equation is self-interest. Um, and it's something that I always use when, when I kind of want to influence in some way, um, I actually try to put myself in the other person's shoes and think, okay, do they think I'm credible? Do they know much about me? Have they worked with me before um, on an intimacy level? Do I know them well? Um, have we passed in the hallway and had a conversation over a coffee? Um, are they someone in my network that I know well or not? Um, and then reliability, have I continuously delivered? Or worse, self-interest, do I come across as arrogant? Um, so I always find that to be quite useful for me to work out my reasons for not trusting someone, but also for me to coach my team when they're looking to influence other people within the business, actually pick someone who you think is trusted by the person you want to influence and work out where your gaps are in that equation versus them. Because then you can start to say, 
Um, for example, Andreas, if you and I are working together, it could be Andreas has more credibility. Okay, well, then what can you do to influence that part? Because my learning from my original experience was there was nothing tangible that I could do about trust. And that's when I kind of looked into this equation to help me influence or I suppose be in control of my own future a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would say about trust in the team. That was a really interesting equation you brought there as well. And I've never heard of that before, but that's definitely something I'm going to be looking into after this podcast. Definitely do my research on that. Just Google the the trust equation. You'll find it really easily. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that as well. So, Ricardo, after hearing everyone's take on the question, what are your final thoughts? Uh, I love the equation I brought up. It makes complete sense. I never put that that way. But just I can imagine in front of me exactly that, and I mean I completely agree with Andreas and Sir as well. The the some people want to be managed in different ways, and yeah, I think it's up to you to to figure that out together with them. Uh, sometimes it's not ideal because that's not your sort of uh, managing style, and I think I I tend to think that. The more freedom you give to people, once you trust them, and that's super hard to 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 measure, the better results you get. But it's also there's so many times that you're working with someone and you're not fully certain you can trust that person in different ways. Not just the, their capabilities, but also their self-interest. Sometimes it's really in a bigger in a big organization that's so palatable. Uh, um, in a startup, it's so different because everyone is running in the same direction. There's a north, there's no road, just a compass, and you run. And together, you figure out every day how to go over the obstacles. So that's more or less the situation I'm in right now. And I really appreciate that because you can see that the team is very much engaged. But getting people feeling they're trusted and to do their job the best possible way and being uh, willing to make mistakes because... They not to be afraid of making mistakes. That's the most important because mistakes will be made. But if if they think you don't trust them, they're not gonna they're not gonna be daring. So it's this kind of stuff. But yeah, it was uh, a great answer. I think the part about mistakes, allowing mistakes, is is uh, key. I think that's uh, important to state that it, it really builds so much trust and it really enables people to, you know, sometimes speak up. Um, and unless they feel like they're trusted and, and, you know, they're probably not going to speak up and that's when you start to lose transparency and you start to, uh, you know, sometimes not go the direction you should be going. Um, because, you know, sometimes key competence, uh, you know, is not above you. It's sometimes, you know, the people that report directly to you. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, a very intelligent, uh, aspect of trust. I think there's also kind of another element, which is around, as you said, kind of Andreas, around making mistakes, because sometimes I think we can fall into a bit of a trap with trying to protect people that we don't necessarily completely trust to be able to deliver, in, whether it's a presentation, whether it's something else. Um, it means that sometimes we try to protect them because we care and we want to make sure that kind of they're okay and that whether it's a leader or someone else um, doesn't think that they aren't performing, but actually sometimes protecting them from failure might result in your team feel less trusted um, because actually you've probably micromanaged a little bit to make sure their presentation is good and correct before they go in rather than letting them go in and see and learn for themselves. Um, I think it's a mistake that sometimes I fall into, um, which is trying to protect trying to protect the team a little bit. Um, but I think it's something that I can probably work even harder on, um, which is letting letting the guys go in and learn for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, and I also think that feedback is also important, um, but not only the positive feedback, even if it's difficult sometimes. And for some people, for me, for example, it's very difficult to provide more negative feedback certainly when you care about those people but also by being transparent that also brings that trust 
Um, and another thing that I wanted to add is I think it's very important not to forget that trust is not built overnight. That take, that takes lots of time and effort and work with the people and communicate with the people and provide this safe space for them, not only to fail, but also to communicate, to express themselves, express emotions and etc. It's hard work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, definitely, yeah. And like For you sure. say, trust, yeah, it can't be built overnight. Ricardo, did you want to add anything? No, but I think all these things, yeah, they 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 become very clear when you are, um, like, after things go wrong. And it's like hindsight is twenty twenty. but you, it's the kind of stuff you learn. It's impossible to foresee things in, in the dynamics that you're not super comfortable with because it's new. But at the same time, you don't want to be working with the same team nonstop because things get stale. So it's the uh, it's the it's the classic thing like you have to adapt constantly, roll with the punches kind of thing. But I think yeah, I, I'm super happy with all the input and super interesting stuff. Thank you all for the answers. Yeah, definitely really interesting answers there, and great question as well, Ricardo. So let's move on to Andreas's question. So Andreas brought the question, how can emotional intelligence help in managing diverse teams, particularly in remote or hybrid modes? So Andreas, where did this question come from? Um, I think it's super relevant in the era that we're in. You know, prior to COVID, we weren't really working as much remote as, you know, is generally accepted to do today. It's almost a requirement when you know, people come at interviews to understand, you know, how many days do they have to spend in the office, if any. Um, also, you know, the, the world of uh, information technology, uh, it's super diverse. We have people living in Sweden just in this call, you know, from numerous countries and uh, different backgrounds, cultures, way of communicating, as Sylvia mentioned, like showing, um, showing emotions in a lot of countries over East is generally not accepted as much. It can be perceived as a weakness. Um, so understanding, you know, a lot of these aspects of where people might come from, uh, what are their backgrounds and, and why do they perhaps communicate in a certain way or want to be communicated to in a certain way. Um, at the same time as, you know, they might have their own personality and their own personality traits or actually might not have, they will have. So there, there is super important to be able to you know, understand why somebody might be communicating like that in a text, but differently in a meeting or on Teams or Slack, whatever. Um, so I think the role of emotional intelligence in, in remote and hybrid situations in this ultra-connected dynamic world where people from all cultures meet all the time uh, is super key to succeed uh, and to have a pleasant, uh, you know, day at work. So I think that's uh, food for thought and a good topic of conversation. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Sylvia, would you like to kick us off? Let's try. Um, I think that the answer to your question was the way you expressed it. I think that you answered your own question. Uh, it is, I completely agree with you. It's very important, certainly nowadays, uh, to have that emotional, uh, emotional intelligence and to be able to read people, their emotion, what's going on, and etc. But not only that, to be able to understand yourself, your emotion, so that you can reply and manage that relationship with the different stakeholders. Um, it is also true that it's very difficult because being working remotely, we can't see our facial expressions. We can't see the body language. So it's making it very, very complex, uh, complex and difficult. And that's the moment where that emotional intelligence, the more is super important. The, the more you understand and try to be empathetic and etc., the better you can deal with the different situations with different audience and etc. Yeah. Really good answer there, Sylvia. Emma, would you like to go next? I think this question is really fun. I think there's like, there's so many different ways that you can take it with a, um, I mean, technology and kind of the hybrid um, versus remote approach 
technology as we know with AI, it doesn't have emotion in it. It's working on it, um, but there isn't really emotion yet in the um, technology, which means that it can be quite difficult. It kind of comes back to Ricardo's question on trust and can you trust someone to sit at home um, and do what you expect of them? Um, and how can you build a relationship through technology? Um, I was actually in the UK last week um, and my grandma is a little bit frustrated with me living in Sweden, right? So um, she said, back in my day, actually everyone lived close to each other. Everyone kind of lived next door. Your whole family would live around you rather than nowadays when technology is, in, is allowing people to live so far away. How do you build the relationships and how do you not get lonely? was kind of her question, um, which I thought was actually quite interesting. How do you kind of create this engagement and culture when people aren't in the office um, for all of the right reasons, but actually how do you kind of get people engaged and keep people excited about what you're doing or to the point Ricardo made kind of running in the same direction if you kind of can't see if your own pitch landed well with them? Maybe they're turning off the video and going, oh, what an idiot. And you can't tell, right? So it's very true. So it's it's quite difficult to work it out. But I think part of my answer, rather than just talking about the way you can cut the question, um, part of my answer would be would be to get to know the individuals. If they're in different countries, there's actually not really much of a reason why you can't find a way to go and visit them at some point. Um, in order to get to know them face to face. Um, if they're in another city, you can always go and visit them to say hi. It's not kind of every week that you should be doing it. But I think there is a certain part of understanding each other that you can get from them and they can get from you. Um, maybe you're the person turning around after the call and going, oh, but actually it's good to get to know everyone's context. Um, and understand the context that they're working in, because otherwise you can't really understand the person without understanding their context. Um, so I think that's probably what I would try to do anyway. I'm not sure whether it's right, but I'll try. <laughs> yeah, I suppose, like you say, there's always the pros. So obviously all this new technology, be able to speak to people in different countries, but it always still comes with its challenges. And yeah. as you know, with AI, nothing's perfect at the moment, but we'll see what happens. Exactly. We have no idea what's going to happen in the future, but yeah, meeting face to face is always it's always good. Ricardo, would you like to add something to the question as well? Yeah, really quickly, but I completely agree uh, with Emma on this. Trying to get to know the person you're working with in some level that is a little bit deeper than just the project or the professional side. I have a very sort of uh, unique view on this because. Not unique, but personal. Um, my first job, when I, when I started my first company back in Brazil, my first client was based in Australia. And I worked with them for maybe a total of 10 years throughout. But we would meet every once in a while, maybe once a year. We would meet sometimes in a supplier in Asia, or we would meet in a convention or something in the States or something like that. Even I went to Australia to meet them once. But it... With time, we, we grew this relationship of like friendship and like team effort. And it was a small company that grew to become much bigger. But just sometimes I was on my way to work here in Stockholm. I would be riding my bike. I would get a call from them and they were finishing their day there. And it would just catch up, you know, just general stuff about, of course, about work, but just chit chat and like, I don't know, life. And, and then you, in one side, I felt I cannot fail these guys because they trust me. And the other side, they're like, we trust this guy because we know him and that kind of stuff. And, and at the same time, I felt that they felt like that. We cannot fail him in, in some, in some way. So it's, um, there is, it, it's super tricky because since then, I mean, I worked for a long time remotely, quote unquote, before COVID, let's say. But I kept working, even when I was working in big companies here in Sweden and having suppliers elsewhere or the rest of the team elsewhere, I was very comfortable in, 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 in kind of measuring that level of engagement from both sides because it, 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 you gotta be a bit, a bit more personal in that sense and just enough so people like are excited to, to be talking to you and vice versa. So 
it's it's super tricky because sometimes now uh, I'm working a project that has a supplier, not a supplier, but like a consultancy that's helping us elsewhere. And they really want to come to see us. And I understand why they want, but at the same time, I understand why that's not maybe necessary. But it's a, it's a balance there that you, you got to find and, and try to understand how can you, how can you get like everyone as excited as you, you are, or you want to be in something. And I think a lot of that has to do with, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's tricky, but it's a bit more in a personal level, like getting to know people a bit more and, and trying to, to see what can, what they get excited about, what, how can you, can you help them be, be excited about that. So, yeah. And I mean, I work in a very different realm. It's physical stuff. Uh, it's designed still, but things are being made physically. They'd be shipping back and forth. You have to go and see things and stuff like that. It's not as much as I, I cannot just look at the screen and measure someone's work. Like sometimes we need to be there physically for real. So it makes it a bit easier in this sense because you have to meet them. You know, very much agreed. I, uh, I think being able to meet people or scheduling time with them really shortcuts through some of the gaps that you have when you don't meet people physically. Uh, I was working in, in the Parisian office of HCI um, until COVID. COVID came, uh, you know, the whole world locked down and, and Sweden was like, we're just keeping everything open. So I went back home and uh, uh, I had an apartment here as well. So I could just move in and, and you know, start working. And, and, you know, after one and a half years, I realized like I'm, I'm starting to speak to the cashier at local grocery store because I want to speak to people. So what I started to do was I scheduled time in my calendar to speak to, to colleagues. So I had coffee, you know, coffee with this guy, coffee with that guy. Some things, you know, uh, I needed to work on this relationship to make sure, you know, I could get some delivery faster or whatever. So I had a coffee with this uh, individual and it really helped. It was more fun to work. And, you know, you, you build connections like so much deeper and faster uh, if you schedule those kind of, um, of, you know, copies that you would have normally in an office. So, yeah, that's a that's a huge point, Ricardo. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. It's amazing how much a coffee with a colleague can actually make a difference. Just one little short conversation can make a huge difference to how you feel in that day, definitely. And personally, I do love my coffee, so that's an added bonus as well. <laughs> Amazing. So um, has anyone got anything else to add before we move on to the next question? Sylvia, would you like to maybe add something as well? Yeah, actually, I do, because I I think it's also important to maybe mention um, the impact of emotional intelligence on a higher level and not only towards the individual but for example for a big division or a big corporation or something like that i think that um, emotional intelligence in this case is super important because we can evaluate the general feeling atmosphere um in a team in a division and etc and this could also help us to craft the right message towards those people if there is something negative going on for example you won't go and write oh we're doing amazing cool you're the best no you're not gonna do that you need to craft your message so that the audience can perceive it and uh, uh understand it so that this message can resonate with them and here i think emotional intelligence plays um, crucial role um, for the generic, for the team, for the division. That's what I wanted to add because I think that we are concentrating on the individual, which is extremely important. But it's also important not to forget the um, the atmosphere, what's going on in in the team as a whole, etc. Yeah, it's actually um, a really good point. I remember, um, I think all of us have probably met someone in business who has gone out with a message and you're like, oh, no, what are you doing? Um, because actually they haven't read the room, um, which has then meant that kind of their message wasn't correctly um, received by everyone. And I think kind of part of part of the emotional intelligence is understanding how to communicate um, kind of when to be direct, when to be or try to be funny, um, and when to kind of have that kind of personal um, conversation 
with people and judging when the right time is. Um, it's always, I, I personally always try to um, let the individual lead the conversation rather than me lead it. So like if I know that um, I'm coaching someone um, on something, yeah. something that could end up being a little bit raw for them in the emotion, I'll typically tell them that actually, like if I'm doing a session on fear of failure with someone, actually kind of those types of fears can be quite raw. Um, I typically say to them, if you don't want to do that session on the day for whatever reason, just let me know and we'll move it until kind of you feel that you're in the right space to do it. Because some of some of those kind of um, discussions take a certain feeling on the day rather than just um, going for it because your boss has put in a session. Um, so I think kind of it is around, to your point, Sylvia, how how to read the room um, and make sure that everyone's in the safest place when they come and have a discussion with you. Yeah, definitely. Really good point. Obviously, reading the room is something a lot of people do need to take account on. So good point there, Sylvia and Emma. <laughs> um, Andreas, is there anything you'd like to add before we move on? No, thank you for adding so many wise thoughts. Uh, didn't know where this was going to lead to, so uh, learned some things myself. Thank you. Amazing. Really interesting question. Glad you brought it to the podcast. So let's finish with our last question, which was brought by Sylvia. So Sylvia's question was, what is emotional intelligence? How would you perceive the influence of emotional intelligence on team dynamics and overall team performance? How do you work with team members whose emotional intelligence is not high? So Sylvia, where did this question come from? Actually, there are a couple of questions. Sorry for that. Um, I think it's very, the first one, what is emotional intelligence? I think it's very important to reply to that question in general, because I think not everyone is aware about what this is. And I think it's kind of a new topic. Uh, my parents, for example, if I speak to them about emotional intelligence, they're going to be like, uh, what? Going back to Bulgaria, um, talking to friends and yeah, basically talking to friends. I mentioned emotional intelligence and some people look at me weirdly like, what are we talking about exactly? Uh, here again, it's about culture and to what extent this culture has uh, evolved when it comes to emotional intelligence in specific topics. So that's the reason why I brought up that question because I think it's very, very important to discuss it and see how we feel, what do we think it is, and etc. And the rest, it was just, I want to hear your opinion, in general. Yeah, no, great questions. Ricardo, would you like to kick us off? Sure. That is a good question. I mean, I think um, I always looked at emotional intelligence without even thinking about this term whatsoever. But uh, after realizing that everything is based on relationships, no matter what, even professional relationships, there's a relationship. You need to be able to be the person that people know who you are and if they trust you or not. Sometimes they don't like you, but they trust you. And it's it's be there, be the person that you're portraying to be kind of thing. Um, I always look at these things with um, in the lens of more like behavior economics and trying to figure out what people get from a certain action. And that's like very, very cold and very kind of like uh, evil in a way. But I think if you want things to run smoothly, which people tend to want in general, you want your work to, to, to get from the beginning, middle to end in a way that makes sense for everyone. And you want even your personal relationships to be like that. You need to be able to empathize with that situation. So, and it's so hard when you're working with someone who you think, oh my God, I cannot stand this person. But sometimes like, why can't I stand this person? It's, it's just like asking back and like putting yourself, we, we, we spoke about this before, but it's like putting yourself in, in that situation. And it's hard, but you, you need to be able to remove. It's like almost like professional empathy. It's like, I need to understand this person right now for this to work. So I'm not going to keep let my personal view of things influence me. So I just want this this one to go that way and they're not going. Why is that? Got it. Let's work on this together. So I I, I mean, 
I think as, as a term emotional intelligence, it for me is very obvious is being able to empathize with someone and agree or disagree in a way that makes sense for the situation. So, um, yeah. And, and I don't know, there's many ways to, 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 to see that, but I, it, for me, it feels very clear. It's all about relationships and it's all about being able to leverage those relationships to a common goal and agree with this goal, first of all, but then leverage to this common goal. That's, that's it. My personal view. Yeah. No, really interested answer there. A really good answer. Andreas, would you like to add to the question as well? Um, yeah, I think, uh, Adding to what Ricardo and Silvia just said, uh, I mean, it's super important to be able to uh, motivate work and, and sometimes, you know, tweak the direction of somebody who might not be the most uh, emotionally interested or uh, agreeable or intelligent person uh, to be able to get the whole clockwork, you know, uh, moving forward. And um, sometimes these these individuals can also be uh, some a key contributor. They can also be, you know, very, very highly intelligent, but their emotional intelligence is therefore lacking of. And uh, I have uh, individuals of those traits around me that I really love. And, you know, being able to uh, be a people person, uh, communicating to uh, these individuals like how they want to be communicated to uh, really is going to make that clockwork actually work. And just as Ricardo just said as well, in his own words, being able to, um, you know, understand them, what motivates them, what can annoy them, and, you know, how do we tackle this together, you and I, um, and as a team. So, uh, yeah, th those uh, people can very often be uh, key contributors that prefer to do more solo uh, than as a team. And just being able to get that, them working for everybody, um, I think, is, is a challenge that I love. And... Um, uh, yeah, have, having that kind of uh, uh, interest of psychology and interest of individuals that's really interested in them uh, will really help in that challenge and uh, uh, speed up uh, whatever it is that you're trying to achieve for the moment. Yeah, yeah definitely, exactly. Emma, what's your take on the question? So I've kind of been playing with um, emotional intelligence versus um, emotional awareness um, because I think so much around emotional intelligence is around what you see and what you're able to spot in others around you as well as yourself so that you recognize what is the fact that I've had a really bad morning and I tried to ride a bike in Stockholm um, versus what is what is kind of something that this situation has made me feel um, what am I kind of giving to it? Um, there's actually a really interesting um, piece of research into almost like the what we would typically call the chicken and egg situation of what comes first, your emotion or your facial expression. Um, and they did some research into um, facial expression or brain activity with the emotion and what comes first. And your facial, your facial expression comes first. Um, so kind of exactly right. So if you smile, then actually you typically feel happy and the expression comes first. Um, so there's an interesting um, part in my mind that plays with people's facial reaction um, versus just intelligence, seeing it as a brain activity. Um, it's also kind of a physical activity for you as well. Laughing is very physical. Um, crying as well, if you want to go that far. Um, but I think there's... There's a lot of pressure being put on people nowadays around being emotionally intelligent. And sometimes that can lead to people fearing um, emotion and people a little bit like the word micromanagement. Actually, most micromanagers would turn around and say, but I'm not a micromanager. God, no, that's awful. No one should ever be a micromanager. But it's how willing people are to learn. Um, and I think to your question, Sylvia, on what do you do or how do you work with people who aren't emotionally intelligent? Actually, part of it in my mind comes from, are they willing to learn? Are they willing to learn? Um, because some people can be a bit stubborn. Um, they can be really stubborn, like 
my grandma um, telling me that moving away is a bad idea. Um, actually, they can be quite stuck in the mud, if you like. So if they're really willing to learn and they're willing for you to say, hey, by the way, that probably wasn't the most kind way to go about it, um, then actually it's not that bad. Like you can have a really open dialogue with people and have a great conversation like this here on what is in emotional intelligence. So I think kind of it depends on the person's want and willingness to learn um, and willingness to develop. Um, because I think the hardest people are people who don't want to develop and don't want to understand others. Um, but I think, I think it's also there's so much fun in getting to know yourself in that emotional intelligence because so much of it is around you recognizing yourself um, and kind of being confident in being confident in knowing your boundaries and your own emotions so that you make sure that you're not the one getting it wrong or actually nine times out of 10, you probably are the person getting it wrong, but you're willing to, um, I think Ricardo, you mentioned it quite early on, like recognizing when you are making a mistake. Actually, that can happen in emotional intelligence too, recognizing that your boundaries weren't properly in place um, or actually recognizing that maybe there's something from your background. Like, as I said, um, with with the trust equation coming from the conversation that I had quite early on in my career where someone said, I don't trust your ability to be able to do this. Actually, if I then let that follow me continuously, I mean, the trust equation is always there and I'm always talking about it so we can discuss whether there's an issue there. But it's a it's one of those where I'm aware of it and I'm aware of working out when that should start and when it should end um, in how I'm working with other people. Right. Right. And also being able to give that, if, you know, feedback, if you need to give it to somebody, of, you know, if somebody was smooth or uh, not a smooth operator uh, to, to give the feedback without shame. If you exactly. give the feedback without shame, it's very easy to be, you know, received and taking, taking that to heart uh, and, you know, being able to laugh about it. And uh, then it's also easier to make an improvement for any individual, including oneself. Um, it's very similar to, I think, um, Sylvia, you mentioned it earlier about um, giving feedback. Actually, when you go into feedback, and most of the time, we can be a little bit nervous about how is this feedback going to be received. But in those situations, it's also quite important to let your own nerves not impact the feedback that you're giving, because then it's really unfair on the person you're giving it to, because you're almost allowing your own emotions to impact what you're giving to the other person. Um, it's tough to turn around and say, it's my nerves. Okay, how do I get over them? Um, but actually what they show is in fear, one of the um, one of the best ways to overcome fear is exposure therapy or CBT. But you can take that in a day-to-day -day world to be, actually you need to face it head on. You can't just avoid the fear of giving feedback. You have to face it head on. Otherwise, you will always have that fear and you will always impact your team. Um, but it is kind of a feedback is typically an issue that quite a few people have in giving. Yeah. And being able to distance yourself from both giving feedback and receiving feedback, mm -hmm. not take that to, to your heart. It might not be defining who you are, what you are receiving or what you're trying to send to somebody. Uh, I think it's also key uh, to disconnect the emotional part of it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, and just, just jump in really quick because I completely agree with that. When I'm working with a team or in a project or even with my managers, I am very vocal about what I'm feeling about something. And, and I bring this subconscious like, guys, I'm sorry. I have a big mouth and, but I'm not going to. I'm not just blabbering. This is, these are my concerns because of this, or this is why I think this is good because of that. But it's just, if you, I think if you're on the same page as fast as possible in the situation, that makes things so much smoother. And I'm not afraid of just being very, not, not blunt, but very direct. And I mean, I, I'm having a very hard time not cursing because I tend to curse a lot when I want to say something specific, but I, I, I like to be very direct and I like to show I'm frustrated, uh, I'm excited and this kind of thing. So get, I don't want to, I'm not trying to contaminate people with how I'm feeling. I'm just like, this is my stage right now. Oh, and I think if it's a positive one, then yes, I want everyone to experience that. And if it's a negative one, it's like, guys, why are we here? Why am I, why, 
my gut feeling is telling me this, but from the side of being, sometimes I'm wrong. Like, uh, like we've discussed before, sometimes in a situation, it's like, oh my God, I'm, I'm not right here. And for me, in order to avoid getting to that point, I, the way I try to disarm people that I think are wrong, I just keep asking them why. I ask it why once, twice, three times. By the third or fourth time, it tends to be like, because I think it's better. And when you get to that point, it's like, then it's your personal view. But then I do the same thing to me. When some of the, I want to do this way. And in my head, oh no, I want to do it that way. And it's like, okay, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. And I start asking myself, why I want to do this way? Why is that better? Why, why, why? Ah, oh, yeah, it's because I think it's better because I've done it before. But why not open to something else? So it's being able to, I don't know. I think things get more fun when you try different things and you have the time to do that, of course. But when you try to do things in a different way, it gets more fun to work. Otherwise, I don't know. I'm very much a uh, generalist. I'm not, I I don't like to be specific in terms of anything or methodologies or processes. And it's the same way I like to work with my colleagues and my teams. Like, okay, let's, we have a goal. We want to get there. What's the best tool? Fine. But you know what? Maybe you guys are going a bit too crazy. We've got to stick to this. But sometimes, no, you know what? You guys are right. We, I think there's more to gain if we try that way. So being open and being aware of emotions in general, that's definitely, I think, a sort of a superpower. Yeah, definitely. And really good insights there, everyone. Really good answers as well. So, Sylvia, before we finish, is there anything else that you'd like to add after hearing everyone's answers to your question? I love it. I just love everything that everyone said. And I think that for me personally, when it comes to emotional intelligence, I divide it in four different pillars, self-awareness, social awareness, then self-management, and then the social relationship management. And I think it covers everything that you have expressed. In order to be able to work with the others, you need to understand yourself, how you feel, why you feel in a specific way, but then also to understand how potentially the other person feels and why. And then to find a way for this to work, this relationship to work. And I think that you, all of the replies and everything that you shared in terms of examples and definition cover to cover all of that. I love it. Yep. Great. Amazing. Like I say, great question and great answers, everyone. So before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thank you so much to all of our guests for sharing their thoughts. They've been Emma, who is the head of Hellbop. And then you've got Ricardo, who is the design manager at Stillfold. Andreas, who is a senior product manager at ACL Worldwide, and Sylvia, who is the head of product communications at Nexi Group. So if you're hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a podcast, you can drop me a message too. I am Shania Olajugba, and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at shania.olajugba at evolution-nordics.com or visit us online at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK forward slash Nordics. Thank you again so much to all of our guests and thank you for listening. And that is the end of our podcast. Thank you very much. Amazing. Thank you. Hey, thank no you problem. so much. It was super so, interesting. Nice meeting you guys. Yes, absolutely. Well, Shania, when is the, the Stockholm... Um, after work podcast Stockholm after work podcast <laughs> the Stockholm after work like the Stockholm uh, beer after uh, work podcast when are you it's a Stockholm to- happy hour happy hour yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> well I'm in Stockholm in February so if you wanted to meet up for a beer that'd be more than that welcome be cool well there yeah, you go maybe have a go on the bikes around Stockholm see how I'll it do. all goes <laughs> I'd rather see how well my emotional Saturday. intelligence is after a couple of drinks. To be fair, I don't know how people ride in Stockholm. I went on the, do you know the, what they call the scooters? Yeah. And honestly, I do not know how I didn't get hit by a car. Like, I'm definitely not going to be doing that again. But feel free to go on your bike around Stockholm if that's what you want to do. But for me, I don't think, for the safety of me and for drivers, something I'm going to be doing anytime soon. <laughs> But um, yeah, so do you all feel like the podcast went okay? Any initial feedback, any initial thoughts? 
think it's pretty smooth. Yeah. yeah. Great. Amazing. I don't really know what type of feedback you're looking for other than, yeah, we're fine. <laughs> yes. Well, like if you, yeah, that's the best yeah. feedback when it's like, yeah, everything went fine. When yeah. it's like, well, I'd like to, add, then it's like, okay, something went wrong. So, yeah, nods, nods and yeses, that will do. <laughs> yeah, but good, good job on selecting all the candidates. Uh, Emma, Ricardo, and Silvia are like very uh, good insights and intelligent thoughts. So, thank you. Yeah, same. Thank you all. Thank you. Very Thanks, guys. It was super interesting, and I love this topic. So it was very nice exchanging with you, hearing your opinion, and exchanging um, different experiences. Thank you. Likewise. Definitely. And like I say, you've still got that group chat. So if it is that you ever wanted to keep in touch or you wanted some more advice on emotional intelligence or that sort of thing, that group chat's always going to be there. So feel free just to chat away on that as well but like i say we think we've all got some chat scheduled to catch up as well so if it is that between now and then you can think of anything in particular especially in regards to editing or anything like that just maybe write it down and we can cover it in our next meeting but thank you so much for joining me on this podcast i've really enjoyed it i've really enjoyed listening i feel like personally i've taken away a few pieces of advice i hope you all have as well But yeah, I will let you get back to your Monday afternoon and I will speak to you all soon.